0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. For many years, Lady Justice worked with a man known only as The Judge. He acted as a counterbalance to her violent impulses, a voice of reason to temper her blind aggression. Since his death at the hands of Nicodem, Lady Justice has been without a right-hand man. Some say she has become unhinged little more than a wild animal with a sword. That is about to change. I hope you enjoyed part one of The Risk of Reason, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Hideo's Engineering, creators of the finest training dummies in Malifaux. Our automata are designed to mimic the actions of real enemy combatants and come with adjustable difficulty settings. They're the perfect training solution for everyone from soft greenhorns to the most seasoned death marshal. Simply turn the restraining bolt to select your fatality rate from zero to 100%. Risk of Reason, by Tim Akers and Kyle Rowan The main foyer of the guild enclave in Malifaux City was a grand space. Polished wooden staircases lined with plush carpets and chased with gold inlay spiraled to the upper levels of the building, spreading like wings over the polished marble floor. Hallways led in every direction, fronted by frosted glass doors with discreet signs directing visitors to the various departments. The new electric lighting shone a sterile, steady light on everything. A bulletin board hung just inside one of the many doors, littered with peeling flyers and duty rosters. Usually these halls bustled with traffic, but not today, or any day in recent history. The fine wood panelling that lined the hallways showed signs of abuse. Bullet holes and the gouged ruts of claws. Stains spotted the otherwise pristine carpets. Only the statue was undamaged. The distant sound of a typewriter clattered through the silence, like a lone machine-gun nest shooting at ghosts. Raised voices echoed from outside. The front doors burst open, admitting Lady Justice herself, along with several death marshals and a small mob of guards who were apparently trying to stop Justice from entering. One of the guards, armed only with a clipboard, and the kind of clarion voice that could quell riots with a word, harried the leader of the marshals. "'The guidelines are very clear, Miss Justice,' he said. "'All personnel, whether on duty or off, must sign in at the front gate. "'It's more than just security. It's a matter of order.' He thrust a clipboard in her direction. "'I'm afraid I must insist.' Justice drew to a halt next to the bulletin board. There was a new poster squarely in the middle of the board, Heavy stock, soaked in color, gaudy by any standard. She was the central figure on the poster. Lady Justice, dressed in flowing robes, sword in one hand and scales in the other. Her image stared down at a crowd of figures, all of them cowering before her. Block letters across the top of the poster proclaimed, Justice delivered. Some smartass had scrawled fresh to your front door beneath that, smudging the ink. The persistent guard, long since abandoned by his fellows, glanced at the poster. "'Come, Miss Justice, it wouldn't do for the Guild's most famous face to skirt regulations now, would it?' He presented the clipboard again. Justice turned to face him. The man's confidence slipped under the blind scrutiny of the head of the Death Marshals. "'I could just fill it in myself, if you'd rather,' he stammered. Justice cocked her head in his direction, as if waiting for him to finish. "'Yes, I can do that. I can make the appropriate notation of your entry. Um. He made a great show of doing a head count and checking his watch. "'Lady Justice and one, two, three marshals. Arrival time, 09.50. The scratch of pen on paper. Very good. Thank you for your—' "'I left with fifteen marshals,' Justice said quietly. Fifteen Are you sure you have that count correct?' Um, yes, yes, I... He looked helplessly at the attending marshal's. They were bloody, their uniforms charred. I think I understand. Do you need a casualty report form, ma'am? I could have one, he swallowed hard, have one sent to. Dismissed, lieutenant. The commanding voice came from the top of the stairs. Captain Dashiell smiled down at the little gathering in the foyer. The guardsman ducked his head and scampered out. Unless you're not done harassing my officers, Jay. You're a little late, Captain, Justice said. She started down the hallway. Marlow was expecting her report. I was counting on your reinforcements out there. Is there a reason you never showed up? Never got a requisition order, Marshal, Daschle answered. He fell in step beside her, his big stride a casual stroll next to her fast walk. Hard to get anything done without the proper paperwork. Paperwork, Justice said with distaste. Three patrols have gone missing, and four more are operating at half-strength, and you counter with paperwork? I'm going to end up having to use recruits at this rate. What is this? An office worker had emerged from the warren of surrounding offices and was timidly trying to hand her a note. Mom, if you'd please, uh, after action. After action reports? I don't have time for that. A lot of good people died. Write that down. She turned her attention back to Dashiel. One oh, day Reza doesn't mean our job is done. That worm McMoran's out there, Captain. He must be found. They turned a corner. Another office worker stood at the next intersection. His eyes lit up when he saw Justice, and he started walking quickly toward them. Justice took another right and quickened her pace. The office worker fell into their wake, kept away by the trailing marshals. Would have been a lot easier while he was here, Dashiell said, holding back a chuckle. All you had to do was go down the hall from your office, past a couple dozen of your most loyal men, and knock on his door. Brilliant tactical advice, Captain, Justice said, drawing to a stop. Daschle swept past her, halting only as he realized she was no longer at his side. Her stance changed slightly, weight on her back foot, shoulders squared, palms resting against the hilt of her sword. The surrounding death marshals took a step back. Daschle, either unaware of his danger or uncaring, blathered on. That's why they pay me the big script, Justice. The same reason I'm not going to jump to bail you out every time your marshals get in too deep. There's a manpower shortage, in case you didn't notice. He smiled, big and toothy, his gum stained with tobacco. Speaking of manpower, the lonely office worker said, the Governor-General would like to speak to you both about the recent recruitment. Tell Marlowe I've been delayed, Justice hissed. I will be there presently. The worker looked from Justice to Dashiell obviously confused. One of the marshals gave him an encouraging nudge back the way he had come. The man scampered off. Justice and Daschle stood facing each other for several long heartbeats. The moment passed. Justice stepped closer, her words clipped. I'm well aware, she said, and the situation hasn't improved, thanks to you. You can tell it to marlowe, said. I'm sure he's going to be thrilled to hear that you're threatening the head of his guard. Justice clenched her jaw, but took a step back. She motioned to her marshals and continued down the hall. Daschle followed, still smiling. They arrived at the Governor-General's office a short time later. Marlow was alone, which was unusual. He was hunched over a ledger, comparing it to a spray of after-action reports that littered his desk. He looked up when they entered. Lady Justice and Captain Dashiell. Just the man I was looking for. He turned to Justice. I trust your operation went well? I lost five marshals, with seven more badly injured. They won't be available for duty any time soon, Justice said. Ah, because the captain here couldn't be bothered to send the patrol he was supposed to. I just don't have a record of that request, Mum, Dashiell answered. I sent a runner... You had an unapproved request. Unapproved patrol requests don't get issued, Lady J, Daschle said. I would help you sort this out, but I'm not really qualified. More of a field man. You understand. Sounds to me like you need a new judge. Taking a bullet to the head has really impaired the last guy's performance. Justice whirled on him, and the room went silent. Marlowe's brow rose, but he stayed silent. Daschle's smirk faltered only briefly but then he drew himself to his full height. Justice stalked toward him, one hand drifting to the hilt of her famous sword. "'You will speak of him with respect, with honour. He died protecting this city from filth like that traitor Douglas McMorning. The same man you can't be troubled to find because you don't have the right paperwork.' The words dripped out of her mouth like venom. "'Why did it have to be him?' Her mind went back to that day. The mists, the sound of gunfire, and the judge's life snuffed out. Why not someone else? Anyone else? Why not Dashiell? Her hand instinctively inched closer to the grip of her blade. Dashiell's eyes went wide. "'Marshall,' Marlowe snapped. "'That's enough from both of you. We need to present a unified front in these times of great chaos.' The Guild is depending no more platitudes, Justice said. Some people need to get what they deserve. I agree, which is why I wanted to see you both, Marlow said. He searched his desk, shuffling paper aside until he found the right document. Captain Daschle, in recognition of your outstanding service to the Guild, and as a reward for your persistent performance and unwavering duty... I hereby promote you to the rank of commander. Here's your desk assignment, field commission, and current orders. He held the document out to Dashiell. The man's eyes lit up. Commander, eh? Sounds like a pay bump. He took the paper, eyes beaming as he looked it up and down. It is. Be sure to thank Secretary Madison for his recommendation, Marlow said, then pushed a folio box across his desk. Here you are. What's this? Requisition forms, after-action reports for the last six months, payroll schedules, and a duty list for the annual office party. All yours." "'What am I supposed to do with this?' Nashell asked, his face turning red as he took the box. "'I'd begin with collating the reports, then maybe start in on the payroll schedule,' Mala answered. "'People like getting paid, I've been told.'" Lady Justice couldn't help but smile. "'Sounds like you're going to need to learn how to read, Commander,' she said brightly. I'll be submitting my reports in the morning. Yes for you, Marshal, Malo said. We're beginning to increase our recruitment efforts. I've commissioned posters. Yeah, I've heard about the posters. Yes. We're getting a new influx of initiates, but Dashiell is right. You're going to need a new judge to organize the ranks. Find someone, promote them, and submit the paperwork to the commander. We need to get moving on this right away. Understood. Justice said. She swept out of the office before a trace of the emotion roiling up within her could show on her face. Dashiell stared down at the box of loose papers, his eyes going wide. What the hell is a collate? he muttered. The new training automatons jerked across the sandy lot. They moved awkwardly, their metal hands clutching wooden swords, pistons chattering as they advanced in a wave the old engineer responsible for keeping them maintained stood at a safe distance, equally excited as he was nervous about how they'd perform. He fidgeted with the buttons of his oil-stained overall to one hand and clenched a tattered rag with the other. The martial initiates held their ground. Kasumai Hikota an accomplished death marshal, who had ended more than her fair share of the walking dead, stood by, barking out orders. To the casual observer... She bore none of the marks of the death marshal's transformation. She wore long pants and a tight-fitting jacket buttoned tight to her neck. Her glossy black hair was gathered into a topknot, matching the katana at her side, her father's sword, though none of the initiates knew that. Kazumai rested gloved hands on the katana's hilt, tilting her head as she reviewed the initiates. There was so much to correct, she thought, and so little time. But justice was counting on her. She'd be damned if she let the lady down. Collins, Peterson, Mac, hold that flank. You keep edging back. They're going to roll over your friends like a fever. Tochi, stay close. No extra points for getting killed first. The rest of you. She glanced at the approaching dummies. Brace. Brace. Strike, she shouted. The mechanic jumped. The initiates gave a rousing shout and charged into the ragged line of dummies. Given their jerky advance, the automatons did surprisingly well in the initial clash. Hoffman and his engineers must have focused their attentions on combat expertise, and less on steady maneuvers. That was fine with her. She'd rather her initiates learn to fight. And while there was nothing quite like the real thing, they were better than no opponents at all. The initiates started well, crashing through the lines of automatons, but they lacked discipline, and it showed. Tochi got too far ahead, per usual, and Collins and Mac drifted farther and farther to the right, leaving Peterson to his own devices. All four of them went down in a few seconds, and the rest of the initiates buckled and broke. They rushed across the sandy yard, all sense of an orderly retreat abandoned. Halt! Kazumai commanded. The initiates ignored her, but the training dummy snapped to attention. Maybe Hoffman has the right of it, she thought. Better to be obeyed. She ordered the automatons back, then signaled for the medics to check on the fallen initiates. Peterson came up limping, but the rest fell back in line with little more than their pride wounded. Pathetic. Miserable. These. Kazumai slapped one of the dummies across the chest. It wobbled back but didn't fall over. These are machines. Literally dummies. But you sorry lot can't hold a line together long enough to break them. Y'all want me to turn down their difficulty? Won't take much, the engineer interrupted, reaching for his wrench. Kazimai didn't even acknowledge him. What would you do if these were zombies, eh? If you find yourself lost in the sewers, swarmed from all sides, you think you're going to get off with a nibble on the neck and a warning to try harder? It's not a fair fight, Peterson grumbled. The big Irishman had been a disappointment from day one. She had been happy when he signed up. A hulking man like that should be able to hold his own in a fight. But he was soft. Marshals couldn't be soft, not even with each other. "'There's too many. And we're fighting with clubs. If I had a gun—if you had a gun—I would have to give them guns. And then where would we be, friend? You want me to write that letter to your mother right now?' She marched across the field and got in the big man's face. Chazamayi only came to the middle of his chest, but Peterson took a step back, fumbling his club to the ground. Every fight is going to be unfair. Every murderer, walking corpse and necromancer that you have to fight is going to fight dirty. They're going to do everything they can to kill you. And one of the tactics they are quite fond of is bringing a lot of people to the fight. So, she kicked his dropped club into the air. "'caught it, and smacked it into his chest. "'He took it timidly. "'You are going to learn to fight a big damn lot of people, "'and this time you're going to hold the bloody line.' "'Kazamai turned sharply away "'and marched back to her observation deck. "'She was halfway across the field when she heard him mumble, "'She don't think it's too many.' Kazuma stopped where she was, "'directly between the Initiates and the Automatons. "'She turned to Peterson.' and with a dark look she drew her sword. The steel came free of its sheath with a song. Begin, she shouted. Though that's a then, the engineer mumbled to himself. The automatons lumbered forward. She waited until they were almost upon her, her eyes steadily fixed on Peterson, listening to their shuffling approach. Kazumai saw one of them lift its club out of the corner of her eye a shadow falling across her like an eclipse. She moved. The first dummy fell into three pieces, her sword cutting smoothly through the steel of its limbs. Runes flashed along the length of the blade. Whispers followed its every slash, and a bright wind, as though she pulled a banner of light through the air. She sidestepped past the falling dummy, through a series of blocks that became a riposte, then dove into the middle of the mechanical mob. Hoffman had really outdone himself with these trainers. They coordinated, circling before striking together, falling back when she pressed, swarming as she tried to collect herself. It didn't matter. The sound of her father's blade and the movement of her feet were a blur. Automata fell, spraying gears and leaking hydraulic liquids. In a surprising gambit, the whole mob rushed her at once with a coordinated attack, ignoring her blade to pile on top of her. She fell back, but there was nowhere to retreat. She cut and they fell, but she was one and they were many. Her sword whirred in a cage of parries. She had to take a chance. She had to strike or fall. Kazumai gathered her willpower, the years of training under her father, and years more, watched by his ghost and the weight of her own expectations. She moved so fast that her muscles screamed out, her limbs wrenched. Requiring more than athletic skill, her speed became an inhuman blur of warped aggression. Pain filled her. Pain drove her. She turned the air into death, her blade tearing through the exposed steel and iron and air. The mechanical mass pressed in on her, and she cut them down. They fell, clattering backward like dominoes, bodies mingling with oily sand. Controlling her breathing, she stood alone in the center of the training ground, "'surrounded by broken gears, whirring springs, "'the spurt of hydraulic fluid "'and the angry howl of the engineer. "'You! "'You!' "'His words stumbled out like an engine without oil "'as his eyes wandered over the mechanical rubble "'and back to the marshal who created the mess. "'After a moment of red-faced sputtering, "'he tossed his wrench to the ground "'and fumbled for his tobacco pouch. "'She flicked metal shavings from her blade.' ran it across the sheath, then seated at home. The initiates were staring at her. No, not at her. Well past her and the stomping mad engineer. Applause from a single viewer near the entrance of the lot. She turned and saw Lady Justice standing alone. Kazimai's heart jumped as the head of the death marshals approached. Impressive, Lady Justice said, ignoring the old engineer's locomotive muttering. She turned to the rest of the recruits, her voice rigid. Gear dismissed. The marshals-to-be picked up their weapons and shuffled away from the training grounds without comment, though not without a few backward glances. "'That means you too, old man,' Peterson said, as he knelt down and grabbed a handful of parts, near the panicked chimney-smoking engineer. "'We'll clean this mess up later.' "'It's almost sure as hell is, because I'm not.' A cloud of smoke lingered around him until he was herded away from the training grounds, leaving his muttering curses behind. As soon as they were gone, justice continued. Keep that up and you'll bankrupt the guild just trying to keep our initiates supplied with training dummies, she nearly smiled. My apologies, she answered, bowing sharply. It won't happen again. The lesson needed to be taught. And a hell of a lesson it is. I knew you were the right hand for this job, but... Justice looked over to the fallen dummies. Kazamai these are dark, difficult days, and there are many more ahead. Sometimes you have to embrace that darkness for the greater good. Do you understand this balance? I believe so, yes, Kazumai said. I thought so. I have something more to ask of you, Kazumai. A task that requires sacrifice. "'You know I will do whatever you need, Lady Justice. "'My sword belongs to the Guild. "'When my father—' "'Lady Justice laid a hand on Kazamai's shoulder. "'You don't understand what I'm asking you to surrender,' Justice interrupted. "'The Guild has asked much of your family. "'I am asking more.' "'What more is there to give?' Kazamai asked. "'The life of the Death Marshal is a life of sacrifice.' My father would be proud of the name I've made for myself in your service. Whatever you demand, the name of House Hikota will be honoured. Justice's smile was almost sad. She knew what she had to ask, and what damage it had done to a person she once dearly cared for. It wasn't easy to ask the question a second time. And that is what I must take from you, Justice said. There are tasks that can have no name attached to them. Masks that we must wear to do the guild's bidding, without the burden of our own history, our own identity. Kazimai understood. Her eyes widened. The judge, she said. Justice nodded. Kazimai looked down at the sword in her hand. Her father's sword and her father's ghost. Everything he had given and asked her to give, all for the honor of the name. She sheathed the blade. I accept, the judge answered. There won't be any ceremony, no initiation. There isn't time. She paused, second-guessing whether she should even mention it. I think we found him, but I need to be sure. You did? Where? Where? I'll need those marshals ready. A few days, Tops. Consider it your first assignment. They'll be ready. She was already confident that she made the right choice. Good. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malaphone.